The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So if you wake up tomorrow morning feeling a little more adventurous than a typical Monday, and you, uh, you kind of want to shake things up a bit with your Monday routine, and um, you just so happen to also have about $60,000 just hanging out somewhere that's not allocated for anything, and uh, you've just been searching for what to do with this. Um, and then in addition to that, you had about two months' time where you had no obligations, no responsibilities, and uh, you could take two months' worth of vacation. Then um, congratulations, sign up today. You can go climb Mount Everest you can do it. $60,000, two months' time, you can reach the top of Mount Everest. I, in fact, I read, I think the youngest person to, to get to the top was a 13-year-old boy to get to the top of Mount Everest. And I have no idea how it's possible, but that's what the record said. And so you can go. Now, I'd imagine on this two-month journey of trying to climb Mount Everest that every single day when you're trying to get to that next target, you're trying to get further and further up a 29,000-foot mountain. That every single day you finally get to your target range exhausted, completely defeated, freezing, cold, and there's just this small sense of victory. I made it. I made it. And then you look up the mountain, and the mountain just laughs. And it's like, you got nothing, bro. Like, you did not make it. And then you wake up the next day, and you do the same thing. And you make your way up the mountain just a little more. You get another small sense of victory. And for day after day after day after day after day after day... 60 days trying to conquer this massive mountain. And this picture of uh, a task of trying to get to the summit of a mountain like Everest is really kind of a metaphor. It's an example of what we see Nehemiah and God's people up against in this book. That they're seeking, they left exile in Persia, they're seeking to go back to their home city, the capital city of Jerusalem, rebuild the walls of the city, And the walls of the city, they're vital for the security and safety of the people. This is something where they're vulnerable to enemy enemy attacks. And so they're seeking to rebuild these walls on this great endeavor. And, And I'll tell you what, it seems like every time we keep reading through Nehemiah, a new challenge surfaces. The people experience some level of victory. They conquer that one little feat, and then they realize, oh my goodness, there's still so much more to climb. A new obstacle is introduced. And so we've been learning from Nehemiah's life and learning from his leadership of how he conducted himself and how he operated in the face of all of this opposition, all of these obstacles and challenges. How was Nehemiah able to lead this people? And today is no different. We're going to see Nehemiah's leadership tested. And what's so interesting about what we're going to look at today is the conflict or the opposition is going to be different than what you might expect. I'll give you a little bit of background before we get into Nehemiah chapter 5. At this point in the, in the account, they had started the process of building the walls, but they weren't done. They're still very much vulnerable to enemy attacks. There have been people that have threatened them. There's all sorts of challenges that they're facing. Really, the odds are stacked against them. And so they're there trying to build this wall. And in Nehemiah chapter 5, we read about this terrible outcry that starts to come out among the people. The people start to panic. This terrible cry, you read about it in verse verse 1. Terrible cry happens where the people are complaining, and here's the situation. There was a famine in the land, and food was scarce. 
It was expensive. And so the poor Jews who could hardly afford food and meanwhile being charged taxes, heavy taxes from the Persian kingdom that essentially owned them, they're paying these heavy taxes and living in a famine. And so just to kind of make ends meet, some of these Jews were forced to sell their land. They mortgaged off their homes and then things got worse. And some of them even had to sell themselves into debt slavery to try and pay off their debts. Some of them, it got so bad that they had to sell their own children into slavery to pay off their debts. And then here's the kicker. Here's why this situation was so delicate and why Nehemiah was in a situation where any wrong move could have ended in disaster is that the people that were loaning money to these poor Jews at high interest rates were their fellow Jews. These Jews taking advantage of their less fortunate brothers and sisters profiting off of their poverty. And in the middle of the famine, in the middle of these taxes, they are taking advantage of those conditions to fill themselves up. And in the face of this greed, brother against brother, watch how Nehemiah responds. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 5, starting in verse 10. Here's what it says. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchids, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. So Nehemiah makes it clear, and he says, look, I've also, and some of my crew, we've, we've lent money to some of these poorer Jews, but we have not lent them that at interest. We're not profiting off of people who are just trying to be able to afford food. And so Nehemiah sets an example saying, essentially, we have kept the law that God laid out for us. In fact, earlier on in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, God revealed his law to his people, and he made it clear. Look what Exodus chapter 22, verse 25 says. Exodus chapter 22, verse 25. It says, If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. God had made it explicitly clear for his people, the people that were supposed to reflect his compassion, his generosity, his character. He said, for my people, when you have poor among you, don't see that as an opportunity for profit. That's not the time to make a, a smart business deal that will end up filling your pockets with more money. God made that explicit. And so Nehemiah is clarifying, saying, look, I follow the law. I, I'm setting an example as the leader of keeping the law, staying within the confines of the law that God gave to us. But that's not where Nehemiah stops. He doesn't settle for just following and obeying what the law requires. Watch what he does. Look, jump down with me in verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance for the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. So Nehemiah explains and shares, look, I I didn't exact interest. We can't be seeing this as an opportunity for gain. And then he goes on and he says, look, Here's what I've done. Here's what I've done throughout my time as your governor. That there's a certain food allowance, something that 
the governor is rightfully allowed to receive. It's his for the taking. There's a food allowance. It's standard. And for the 12 years that I've been here, I have not taken that food allowance. I have not taken that which is rightfully mine and used it for myself. And then he goes on and he adds and describes how his predecessors, the people before him, he talks about how they charged a daily ration of 40 shekels. They put a tax on them. And how the governors before him, they put heavy burdens on the people. And so the situation was, this was standard practice for the governor to take a food allowance, for the governor to exact a tax on the people in addition to the tax from the Persian king. There's just this precedent. It was the norm. Nobody would have raised eyebrows if Nehemiah took that food. But Nehemiah clarifies and he says, I did not take the food allowance, which was rightfully mine. And I did not tax the people. Now, governments have been taxing people since the dawn of the age, right? Like that has just been a part of the human experience forever. Uh, in fact, I think tomorrow is your last opportunity. This is your reminder. Do your taxes. I think they pushed it back because of a holiday or something. That's what somebody told me. Uh, but anyways, taxes have just been a part of our life. In fact, I, I came across this interesting um, IRS uh, law Uh, check this out. So the IRS, it it wants to also be able to get income from stolen goods. And so they have an opportunity for people, for thieves who have stolen certain items to uh, be able to report that on their taxes without incriminating themselves. So thieves, get this, follow this. Thieves who just stole something Don't worry, the Constitution protects yourself from self-incrimination, but by the way, make sure you report it on your taxes so that Uncle Sam can get your money for what you stole. So thieves across America, let not your heart be troubled. You can pay your taxes. I know everybody, every thief is just relieved that he can pay or she can pay their taxes. Uh, But taxes, they're just something that we we just know. We're, We're absorbed in this world where we assume taxes. This is the world that Nehemiah lived in. Taxes were the norm. It's what was expected. It's the precedent set before him. And Nehemiah comes in and decides not to take what was rightfully his and decides not to take that allowance for himself. Now, he continues on uh, in verse 16. Um, There's a section in verse 15 where he describes how it was the fear of God that motivated him to act in this way. We'll get back to that in a moment. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, it says, I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six sheep, Uh, and birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all of this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. So Nehemiah goes on and he talks about how not only did he obey the confines of the law, not exact interest, not only did he not take what was required of him, and what the previous governors had taken as food allowance and taxes. But then he goes on to describe how he, at his own expense, on his own dime, would pay for 150 people to eat at his table. And he lists all the animals that he provided for them in abundance. 
And then it goes on to describe how he talks about the burden on the people and what they were suffering and what they were experiencing in this famine was such that he could not bear to to put that demand on them. And so he chose not to take what was rightfully his for the good of others. And Nehemiah demonstrating the heart of leadership, the heart of what it means to be someone who is selfless and sacrificial for the good of others. Now, in this series, the first week we talked about opposition in the form of ridicule. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how there are times that the, the, the thing we're trying to conquer, the obstacle that's in front of us is something outside of us. Sometimes it's someone ridiculing and threatening, and Nehemiah faced this, and the people faced this as enemy nations were threatening their work, and they got past that. And then Nehemiah had this other moment when we looked last week in part two of this series, the obstacle was instead in the form of discouragement, where it wasn't necessarily an external enemy making threats, instead it was internal discouragement, where the people all of a sudden were questioning whether they could even complete the task, whether it was even worth it, starting to doubt whether it was was even possible. And now here we find ourselves in part three, And again, Nehemiah facing an obstacle, but this time, the obstacle is the prospect of entitlement in Nehemiah's heart. The alluring temptation to take what is entitled to you and use it for you. And Nehemiah, as the governor, should have taken, could have taken, might have taken what was rightfully his as a food allowance for his hard work. I mean, he worked hard. His job was difficult. It was stressful. I mean, after getting home from a long day, like it's, it's hard to keep just out of your own expense feeding for all of this people. There's something in us that thinks, man, I deserve something for this. And maybe you've had these thoughts before. Like, I, 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 des- I worked for this. I deserve this. I've earned this. And this alluring temptation to take what we're entitled to and just use it on ourselves to build up a comfortable, secure, luxurious life with no regard to what's happening around us. Nehemiah stood in the face of that and said, I chose not to do that because of the fear of God. Here's a a question that we should keep before us. Here's a, a question that is one of those diagnostic questions that can tell you a little bit about where your heart's at. This is a question that has pierced me. Here's the question. It'll be on the screen. Do I see the things that I'm entitled to as an invitation from God to bless others or permission from God to indulge myself? Do I see the things I'm entitled to, I worked for, I earned, as an invitation from God to bless others or permission from God to indulge myself? How do I view those things? Well, what I have, my possessions, my resources, my gifts, my authority, my influence at work, all that I have, the people that report to me, do I see all of those things that I'm entitled to people responding to me in a certain way because of my job? I'm entitled to people responding to me in a certain way because of my position. And do I, do I see that? Do I see that entitled, I worked for position as something to indulge myself, make myself more comfortable, make myself feel more secure, or do I see it as an opportunity to be a blessing to others. Nehemiah broke the mold of his predecessors. He did something different. So that's what he's calling and inviting us to do as well. Now, 
when my wife and I filed our taxes just a few uh, weeks ago, we found out we got good news, we're getting a return. So we were excited about that, and uh, we talk about, you know, what, what are we going to do with this money that we weren't planning for, weren't expecting, and, you know, immediately one of the first things we talked about, well, we've got, we've got some savings things that we, you know, baby gone the way, got to save. Uh, we've got some uh, student loans, college is expensive, that we've got to continue to pay off. But then let's, let's do something else with a little bit of it, you know? And um, immediately, my mind jumps to, like, an Apple Watch, you know, uh, a new tablet, something techie. Um, my mind starts thinking about, you know, some new clothes, some new shoes. And I think, you know, I haven't bought myself this kind of stuff in a while, you know. I could, I could go on a little shopping spree. That'd be nice. And immediately, my mind starts thinking about myself. Now, Buying things for myself with money that I, that I earned is not a bad thing. In fact, there's no law prohibiting that. That's not, it's not evil. There's, there's nobody saying that, oh, that's wrong, you jerk for buying shoes. Like nobody's, nobody's making that claim. But here's where this gets tricky, is that I noticed in my own heart that my assumption and my reflex, just like we all have certain reflexes bodily, my reflex when there's a little extra flow in the Chade's home is, what can I get for me? And I'm the type of guy that I like to research things and learn everything there is to know about something. And so I read all the reviews. I go on websites and compare different models and try and figure out certain things and try and get what's the right best deal on the best product. And I'm just that guy. And I can be so consumed in researching something that I probably already decided I'm not gonna purchase, but there's just something nerdy in me that enjoys that. And so I get consumed with this desire to spend on me and I'm passionate and I'm intense about looking into these things. And I start to question reading Nehemiah chapter 5, seeing his example, when's the last time I brought that level of intensity and excitement at an opportunity to be a blessing? When's the last time I got pumped and excited and just out of control looking for opportunities to try and help somebody who needs, rather than getting a 42 millimeter Apple watch with aluminum casing in Space gray. Um, so wh- why is it that I'm so pumped about that when, when in reality, my heart, it doesn't flow to the natural inclination? Well, how can I be an encouragement and a blessing to other people? How can I develop that reflex in my own heart where I actually believe what Jesus says when he said it's more blessed to give than receive? But my heart, where, where it's at, it's in a place where my reaction, my inclination is to think, me. It's a think, Justin. So what if, what if we looked at our stuff, not just money, our, our influence, our positions, our authority, our, our, our levels of responsibility at work, what if we looked at those things, not just through the lens of how can this make my life better, how can it make me more comfortable, but instead, how can I be a blessing to people who need it? So this idea of being a sacrificial, generous, compassionate, giving person that Nehemiah demonstrated is something that we should see and want and strive to have shown in our own lives. Now, if you're someone who's here and you're, you're not a, a Jesus follower, perhaps you came at the invitation of a family member or one of your family members is getting dedicated, or you just came and you're not a church person, don't consider yourself maybe first time back in church in a long time. Uh, first of all, we're glad you're here. You're welcome here. Um, we, we, we love that you're here. 
But uh, I thought I would do you a favor and uh, give you some ammunition, some dirty little secrets about Christians. And so here are some games that Christians play. Ready? Here are two games that Christians like to play. So you can file these away and bring them up to your Christian friends and uh, make fun of them for it. So here are games that we play. You ready for this? Here's the first game we play. It's the, I don't want to live out what the Bible is teaching, so I'll somehow explain away the passage so that it doesn't apply to me game. (laughs) And we laugh because we've all played the game. Let me, uh, I'll repeat it because I think it's just fun to say. I don't want to live out what the Bible is teaching, so I'll somehow explain away the passage so that it doesn't apply to me game. Here's how you play this game. It's really fun. We take a passage of the Bible and there's something in there that we just really either don't like Maybe it's something controversial or something that goes against the grain of our culture, or maybe we just, to be quite honest, we don't want to change our lifestyle. And so what we do is rather than just say, oh no, the Bible is dumb, we say, oh no, 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 we're too, too religious for that, right? We say, oh no, the Bible is good, but what it's actually saying is, and anytime we use that phrase, right, that's, that's the cue, what it's actually saying is this. And so what we do is we make the Bible, we make God's word conform to our lives rather than making our lives conform to God's word. And we get in this game where we play it and we try and justify our lifestyles and actions and say, oh, well, that, that doesn't really apply to me. You know, that's not really talking about me. So let's play the game with Nehemiah chapter five. Here's how the game works with Nehemiah chapter five. So if we're playing this game, we think, man, you know, that's an inspiring story. And if there was ever a famine in South Florida and people were starving for food, And there was a Persian king who was taking taxes on the people, and the people were broke. And I was the governor of South Florida, and I had the resources to be able to help them. I would do what Nehemiah did, and we walk away feeling good about ourselves. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. Let me give you the more realistic one. Oh, that's that's cool. That's, That's great. So if there's ever an opportunity where I have the means to be able to help someone and to be a blessing to someone while it doesn't inconvenience me or change my standard of living, then I'll, sh- I'll be sure, I'll be sure to do that. And we justify our own lifestyles and try to conform God's word to the way we want to live while rejecting and ignoring the sacrificial, radical, gracious, compassionate lives that God is calling us to live. And we all play the game. And so we read the book of Nehemiah, we read this passage, and we start justifying and explaining away, coming up with excuses, and we we don't realize that the needs, they may not be a famine in South Florida, but the needs are great. That we live in a world where nearly half the population lives on under $2 a day. That we live in a world where millions and millions and millions and millions of children will die this year from illnesses that are easily preventable. Bring it closer to home. 2,500 children this year in South Florida will be removed from their homes because of abuse or neglect and put into a foster care system. This is, this is the world that we live in. And it, if those physical needs aren't enough to alert us to the fact that there are people who need help and hope, the spiritual needs all around us and around the world just make those physical needs pale in comparison. I was uh, at Waffle Wednesday this week. Every, every week we do this fun thing where we open up our doors in our student ministry and uh, we serve waffles 
to uh, students from schools in our surrounding area as a way to try and connect with them, introduce them to Christ, introduce them to the church. And we have an amazing team of volunteers that helps make that happen. It's awesome. Shameless plug. You should do it. Okay. So Waffle Wednesday, uh, great ministry that we do. Um, But I was there on Wednesday. And uh, what I noticed was uh, one of our students was there. She's a senior. And uh, she was in there and she was sharing her faith with one of her friends. And I kind of caught this uh, out of the corner of my ear and saw this happening, and I got excited. Like something warm inside me just starts to go crazy. Like this is awesome to see one of our students share their faith. There aren't many adults that will share their faith, and this girl's been a Christian for less than a year. She's sharing her faith, and I'm like, this is amazing. So I I walk over there. I introduce myself to the friend of hers that she's talking to. And so I'm just kind of listening, talking with her, having this discussion. And the thing that amazed me, is our students sharing their faith with this girl. This girl is absolutely floored and stunned as she's hearing what the message of Christianity actually is. In other words, she had these, uh, I guess, assumptions about what Christians were and what the Bible said and who Jesus was, and she had certain preconceived notions about it, and as our, our student is sharing them, with them the message of Jesus, she's floored, she's stunned, she's surprised. She's like, Really? amazed, even saying, that's, that's incredible, that, that God, the God who rules the universe and who is just and holy, looks on imperfect and unholy people who deserve his judgment and wrath in a place called hell, so loved us that he sent his son to take hell for us and endure it on the cross to pay for our sins so that we can be forgiven and wiped clean and go to heaven and have relationship with God. Upon hearing this, this girl is amazed. She never heard anything like this before. And the thing that I I couldn't get out of my mind is we live in a place where there there are churches everywhere, there are Christians everywhere. She never even heard anything like that. They're right here. Not to mention places in the world where they don't have the fortune of having a Christian who is willing to share Jesus because there aren't any around. But there are places around the world where millions and millions, billions of people will live their entire lives, never once meet a Christian, never once hear that Jesus has come to rescue and redeem them. We live in a world with deep spiritual needs. The needs are great. And so when we look at Nehemiah's story, we don't get to excuse ourselves from it. The needs that we live in, there are serious needs all around us. And what if we looked with as much intensity and as much passion to help and meet some of those physical and spiritual needs as we do for trying to indulge ourselves with things we don't need that in two years will be outdated and antiquated? What if we did that? How can you be a person that breaks the mold of what your predecessors established? Maybe in your place of work, you're in charge of a group of people or some people report to you, you have certain customers, and just the tradition, the norm is to behave a certain way and for you to earn a certain level of respect and people to talk to you in a certain way. Well, what if you said, away with the norms, away with what's assumed, I'm going to be a servant, and take what's entitled to me and what I can receive and turn it into a source of blessing for other people. Here's the second game that Christians play. 
This is a good one. The second game that we play is the insert yourself into the Bible story as the good guy or good girl and do whatever he or she does game. It's the insert yourself into the Bible as the good guy or good girl and do whatever he or she does game. Now, this is a game we play from the beginning of our lives. And what's, what's interesting about this game is in many ways it's good to play this game. Uh, in fact, you do it with movies. You, you identify with the main character, the protagonist. We do it with books. We do it with the Bible. And so we read a passage like this and we think, you know, I'm Nehemiah and I'm in the middle of these obstacles and I'm going to conquer them and it's going to be awesome. I'm sacrificial. I'm generous. And we insert ourselves into the main character. We're the good guy or the good girl and we're the ones who do great things. And yes, in many ways, let's learn from the good guys. Let's learn from the testimony of Nehemiah, a godly leader who through his leadership was able to achieve something great for God's kingdom. Yes, let's do that. But if we stop there, then we take the Bible and we turn it into a book that has information about successful living rather than looking at it as a book with revelation from the living God who wants to show himself to us so that we might know him and love him and reflect his glory and compassion to a hurting world. So if we, we just read it at that level, we miss something else that God is intending to show us. And so let, I'll be honest. So if I put myself in this story, if you open up the playbill and you're watching Nehemiah take place and you look through the actors and you find Justin Shades on the, on the playbill, you see him there listed, his name is not listed next to Nehemiah. If you were to look at your life and you were inserted into this story, the character that you probably most well fit in with, the story of your life, is probably not Nehemiah. We're one of two people probably in this story. We're either the comfortable, wealthy, luxurious, taking advantage of what we're entitled to, to make our lives as secure and comfortable as possible, while really blinding ourselves to the outcry of people who are in need, whether with physical or spiritual needs, doing our own thing, absorbed and caught in ourselves with this natural reflex to just think of us? Or we're the impoverished, broken, helpless, discouraged, desperate, will do anything to try and get out, enslaved people who in their desperation will do anything, will even sell themselves to something to get them out of their situation. They're so desperate, they're so destitute, they'll do anything to try and get themselves out of their situation. And we're that person who needs someone to come to us and will say, I see your burdens, I see what you're carrying, and I see that you can't carry that on your own. We need someone who will say to us, come to me, all you who are weary, and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. We need someone who will come to us and give up his rights, what is rightfully his, what he deserves, what he earned, what his authority warrants, and will give it up for our good. What we need is someone who at his own expense will do for us what we could not do for ourselves. When we read the story of Nehemiah this way, when we realize that this is a message about a powerful, loving God working through a willing servant named Nehemiah, we start to see that, man, Nehemiah was awesome. We have a lot to learn from Nehemiah. We should pull things from his life and live like Nehemiah, but Nehemiah was just a man. 
And what we need, the fundamental need of the human heart is not the example of a noble, sacrificial man. We need the sacrifice of a Savior who, though he was rich and was in heaven, ruling and reigning for all of eternity with perfect fellowship with his Father, having all power and authority, gave up what was rightfully his and came to this earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves What we need is someone who will come and at his own expense provide for us what we cannot provide for ourselves. This Jesus who humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross where our Savior bled and died, paying with the currency of his blood the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, that's the hero. So in this story, we look at it and we realize Man, the story of Nehemiah, incredible story, amazing. We need to learn from Nehemiah. But the book of Nehemiah is not primarily this rally call to, hey, let's all be more like Nehemiah. Instead, it's, hey, let's fall in love with the God Nehemiah loved. And let's reflect the glory and goodness and compassion and mercy of this God. That's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah's secret. We mentioned it earlier. I read it. Nehemiah chapter 5.15, the reason he was able to do this, the reason he did not take the allowance that was due him, what was rightfully his, it says he did so because of the fear of God. To fear God is simply this. It is to see God as he actually is. To see him in all of his holiness, to see him in all of his justice, to see him in his mercy and his grace and his love, to see him for who he is, and then in light of that, see who we are. And then tremble and fear, and awe, and reverence, realizing that this supreme ruling God would dare look at us, imperfect, flawed people, and set his affections on us, and love us, and call us into a relationship with himself, and sacrifice his own son, giving up what was rightfully his, so that we can be blessed, so that we can receive what we could not provide for ourselves. The fear of God developed as we realize who this God is who has done this for us. Nehemiah invites us to be a people who reflect the very character and nature of God. So throughout this series, I challenge you, I hope you come back. There's so much more goodness to talk about in this book. And we're going to see woven throughout it the faithfulness of a loving God who will work through people like you and like me. What is that opportunity in your life? What's the one area where you can use what you're entitled to, what's rightfully yours, to be a blessing to someone else? What is it? Will you do it? I'm going to invite you now to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to give you the opportunity right now, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, I want to give you the opportunity right now to make that decision. Nehemiah reminds us of the Savior who came and did for us, accomplished for us, salvation, eternal life, forgiveness, and that gift is available to you. In the book of Romans, in chapter 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved which simply means that by turning to Jesus, by turning to the Son of God who was crucified for you, 
who died for you, who bled for you, who suffered the just wrath of God on your behalf, that by putting your faith in Jesus, you are united to him in such a way that now we as imperfect children of wrath, enemies of God, are adopted into his family and delighted in by our heavenly father. That forgiveness, that reconciliation, that grace is offered to you. If you want to put your trust in Jesus right now as your savior, everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed in this quiet moment. You can say something like this in your heart just as a response of what God is calling you to already. You can say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me for what I've, I've done, that I've run my own way, that I've been all about me. I've been doing my life my own way and I've been living for myself. But I turn to you. I receive what you did for me on the cross trusting that you paid it all for me so that I can be forgiven, my guilt removed, my shame gone, so that I can be free. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for all of us here in this room that we would leave this place with a desire and a hunger, a passion and an excitement to look for opportunities to be a blessing. May we be a people that reflect your generosity that you first showed us. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954 432 0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.